Good day, everyone. Welcome to Your Self-Help Quest. I'm your host, Joshua Melissus, and joining me today is Kyle Thomas, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Theater and Dance at Missouri State University. Kyle, thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, now you teach theater, and I'm sure you're aware of, like, drama therapy, mm-hmm. which for, like, uh, people who don't know is... it uses theater techniques to facilitate personal growth and promote mental health. And I guess, do you believe that theater can serve as an effective form of art art therapy and self-help? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that that theater is an art form that has, as its core, many tenets that tie into or parallel with a lot of the therapeutic processes that exist in the professional world. Um, I think art generally, you know, ex- you know f- modes of human expression, human interaction, um, storytelling, those sorts of things are all really excellent ways to tap into the creative juices that an individual has. But what's great about theater is that you have to do that collaboratively. Like drama therapy is great. There's an individualized component to it. And being a part of theater is also really exciting because you have to work in partnership with a lot of different people. And I think most folks, when they think of theater, the first thing that comes to mind might be the actors on stage and the work that they do. And that makes sense because that's the most visible part of what we do. But there are folks from all walks of life who come together to make any particular show or event happen in the theater directors, dramaturgs, playwrights, technicians, designers, stage managers, all of these individuals are very different kinds of people. I mean, not the, the folks on stage are also different types of people, but these are folks with different skill sets, different ways of looking at the world, and being able to find a way to collaborate with those individuals, to find a sense of mutual connection, to come together to the aim of putting on a production are all ways of helping an individual determine and grow when it comes to being a part of a society and having to work with different types of people and different points of view and yet trying to come together for some particular or specific aim that is important to everyone is a really good way of of working on those interpersonal and and communication skills that are necessary for those sorts of things so so theater you know, it proves to be a pretty good model for the type of self-exploration that an individual might want to do for to better themselves. But it's also really great as a discipline for people to learn new ways and 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 stretch themselves when it comes to being able to work with other people and collaborate on a particular event and make something happen and make something come together despite whatever differences you may have. So in a lot of respects, I think the art of theater and the practice of theater both have really helpful and um, engaging ways of self-reflection, but also self-involvement in something larger than themselves. How does theater help you in your daily life? Mm. Like, I guess, in, in terms of mental health and well, in your well-being? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It's weird. That's a, <laughs> it's a good question because at this stage, and I don't know how many other folks would, would agree with me here, but you know, when you do this professionally, it's your job. 
you know, theater is, is, is a job. And so this is to the, your, your wider audience out there. You know, there's that adage you may learn in high school, which is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And, and I just want to dispel that. Please don't, don't believe that. That's not true. Um, if you're doing something you love, you're going to work even harder yeah. than you would in other circumstances. And it's going to be even more gut-wrenching. It's going to be far more difficult. That's not by nature. That's not just talking about theater. It's talking about anything. Uh, so putting that out there first to say that what I do in theater, it's my job. And there are some days where there may be a great show in town. There may be a great show that our own department is doing. And all I want to do is go home and watch sports. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be involved in the theater because I need to t take some time away from my work for a while to do things that are not related to that that I enjoy. So, so I do want to put it out there to start that it's not like, I live and I breathe theater to the point where that's all I do all of the time. Uh, but, but what theater has done for me, I think the most interesting thing for me is the way that it lets me escape into other worlds. And I think that would be true for a lot of theater artists. They would talk about the sense of embodying someone else's life and, and, and perspectives on the world and seeing other points of view and be, you know, being involved in these really fun stories and all that kind of stuff, which are all true for me. But specifically, I'm a theater historian. And I think one of the things that, I, that theater has been so crucial in my work is giving me the ability to step into the perspectives of people of the past and to really question everything about the way that they see the world in such a way that it, that it helps break down my own modern assumptions about the way that the world works. So, you know, everything from economy to society to culture to religion to all these, you know, cuisine, the what we eat, what we wear, all those sorts of things that you and I kind of operate in the world in certain, based on certain conventions that we've grown up learning, doesn't mean that that's the way that other people of the past and other parts of the world operated as well. And theater, my actor training uh, as a professional actor and, and going through school and learning how to do that kind of stuff has helped me to pick up on certain cues that when I'm reading a historical document and I'm reading about the perspectives of an individual, even if, that, if that's a living individual, a person who really lived, or a fictional individual, someone who was, who was made up, um, it doesn't matter because even the fictional characters reflect the perspectives and ideas and thoughts of the people who created them. So it gives me this, this beautiful window into a, a period of history that, as a, as a historian, is so fun and so valuable because I think that's the thing that most historians are looking for, is how to see the world through the eyes of the people that you might be studying from whatever era or whatever geography that you're looking into. and so. I love to just, I, I read historical works, not because, not for the history stuff, I mean, yes, for the history stuff, I do, but, but what's the, what theater gives me is this kind of added layer of being able to look at it almost like a play, almost like looking through the eyes of the character, and then extrapolate that out into the larger context that surround whatever thing I might be reading or, or looking at. And so... Um, Theater's given me a lot of, of skills to be able to, to do that kind of work and to do it somewhat intuitively when I, when I do those kinds of things. So professionally, it's, it's been really, really helpful for me. 
and given me kind of a skill set that I think a lot of other historians aren't aren't as well versed in. Um, in in other respects, what I love about theater is that it's such a challenge to do. And that's not to say that other arts aren't challenges as well. I you know I was a music person for a very long time. I know how complicated it is to 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 learn a piece of music and to practice it and to rehearse it and to work with other musicians if you need to, to to make it come together. But, but theater has so many challenges from the very beginning. You may pick up a play and read it and go, this is a great play. I would love to see it performed or I would love to be a part of its production in some way. But then you've got to figure out like, where do you do it? And you have to be very specific about that. You know, it's easy to say, well, we'll just do it in a theater. Well, what kind of theater do you want to do it in a big, proscenium theater, a small black box theater, or maybe you want to go for something more non-traditional and put it in a, in a space that isn't purpose-built as a theater. You need to figure out casting needs. You need to solve any problems that the world of the play may bring you, like maybe people can fly in this play. How do you solve that problem on stage in a live event? Theater is, the beautiful thing about theater is that it's, a, it's nothing but a set of questions and challenges that have to be answered problems that have to be solved. And so if you're not the kind of person who likes solving one problem only for a new problem to be revealed, then maybe theater isn't for you. But I think one of the joys is that it helps with the anxieties of the rest of the world to know that you can come into this art and solve a few problems for the day. During a rehearsal process when I'm directing a show, it's great to be able to put aside all of the worries and anxieties that have developed in that day, the problems that have arisen, and to come into rehearsal and actually make some progress on something, to actually see how a show is coming together, to watch an actor make a discovery, to, to work with a prop for the first time and go, man, that's the perfect prop for that thing, for that reason, for that character, uh, to, to, to go and play on a set for the first time and, and see how it's going to work in the show. All of that stuff, there's these fun little little wins for yourself that make the stress and the anxiety of the other problems you're dealing with outside of the theater event a little more manageable because you know if you can solve that problem in that show and, and other pe- and, or help other people solve those problems in the show that you can do it for yourself as well outside of it. Man, you're always giving me like a lot of good answers. <laughs> Well, I guess, I've been doing this thing for a long yeah. time. If I don't have good answers at I, this point, then maybe I should rethink I, my career. Why? Yeah, because I, I could see you doing a podcast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I do have the one podcast that I do. Yeah. Should I plug it? Is, is I mean, it okay yeah, to be that, a shameless fine. plug? All that's right, fine. great. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> so, so I do, I do host, I co-host a podcast with a very good friend and, and longtime collaborator, colleague of mine, uh, Seth Wilson. And our, the podcast is the Teaching Drama Podcast, and it deals with anything that, that is the intersection of education and theater. So nice. we, have good, we have guests, we talk about anything. So if you're out there and you, you're looking for more theater-related content, check us out. We're on all the platforms and everything. Going back to acting, has there ever been a role that you've played that made you realize certain things that you didn't know that you had, that... I guess, kind of helped you in some way? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of my roles have helped me in different ways. Um, I, I, there's one that comes to mind that just seems forefront of my mind, and, and it's not 
related to any direction I got at the time, but it was a confirmation of something I'd been told earlier. So uh, it was after, it was the year after, I, or year, year and a half after I finished undergrad, and it was a production of The Crucible, and I was cast as John Proctor. If you don't know the story of The Crucible, he's the kind of the central figure of the story, and there's this incident around, it takes place during the Salem Witch Trials, and ultimately he's, con he's uh, accused of being a witch, and, or is it a witch for a male person, or a warlock, or whatever, a, <laughs> well, I think a wizard. Witch yeah, something. Play, yeah, I think a witch in yeah. the play. And, and then, you know, he's, amidst all the mass hysteria, it's, it's, he's um, brought to trial and then convicted of witchcraft, I guess, and, and eventually dies for it. Um, but he has a moment where he could go out, he could get out of it by signing a, a document that says he renounces the devil and he renounces his terrible ways and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so <clears throat> the reason I bring this production up is because a few years before this, so during my actor training in undergrad, my mentor my, my, and, and acting coach at the time, Scott Holesclaw, God bless him, he told me one day during class, I think, that there's a lot of anger in my acting. It's like, even when you're playing a joyous character, there's anger there. And I'll never forget it. He, it, I just didn't understand that. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, there's anger. Everything you do is tinged with anger. And, and I wrestled with that for a while because I didn't really quite know what to do with that as, as a direction or as, as instruction. I, didn't know, I certainly didn't know how to solve it in the work I was doing. And I kind of held on to it for a while. And then I get cast in this production and John Proctor is the kind of person, the kind of character that you can play angry because everything, there are some events that happen before the play begins that are certainly within his control, but a lot of stuff gets to the point where it spirals so out of control that any reasonable person would get angry at the circumstances that they find themselves in, particularly when their life is on the line. So it's really easy to play John Proctor as this just angry person, this just constantly, uh, uh, frustrated person who's lashing out at, at people around him. And if you do that, it's not very interesting. Nobody likes to watch someone be angry on stage. Anger is not an emotion that, that folks connect with. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. That when they're in the context of theater, when they're in an audience and they want, to, they want a story that they can go through, anger doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that pulls people into the story more. If anything, it pushes them away. So you certainly don't want to alienate your audience in that respect for a show like The Crucible. So finding what's behind that anger, what's, what might be instigating that anger, and really unpacking a lot more of that interaction uh, and finding places where he's actually in love or where he's actually happy are the hard parts and the challenging parts. But I learned by playing that character what Scott had meant a few years before that whatever it is about my personal life, I'm, my, my, my self uh, as Kyle, I'm, I'm bringing into this role in a way that is pushing forward some of my own hang-ups and my own issues from my life that is getting in the way of being able to tap into the deeper things that are happening within the psychology and the emotional world of this character. Because if, as, as I mentioned, if I play John Proctor angry, which was very easy for me to do at the time, it's not going to be a good character. It's not going to be a good portrayal. It's not going to be good work. And I wanted to do good work. And so I finally realized 
oh, I'm personally holding on to a lot of anger. I'm personally not, I have a lot of anger that I haven't dealt with and need to maybe see somebody about that and get some help on that kind of thing. Because if for no other reason, I want to be a better actor who doesn't bring that into every character that he plays. I want to be someone who can be more introspective, that can look beyond or look look inward past that anger and maybe figure out its source or what triggers it or any number of things so that I can help myself, but I can also understand the perspectives of the characters that I play better. So that's probably, that, you know, that, that was years ago and that was probably the, the first time that I, that, that theater um, brought a really heavy realization for me in my personal life. Do you think theater should be a required class for high schools? Because I, I think it should as much as mathematics or mm-hmm. even a science class. You know, I struggle with this question. <laughs> Because, oh man, this is so hard. Uh, should should theater be held up at for to in society to be just as valuable as math or science? I have a lo- I have a hard time saying yes to that. Not because I don't believe. I mean, I've dedicated my life and my career to this, and I love it. And it is, it is a world I've loved being a part of and, and hope to be a part of as long as I can. But what it contributes to society, and there are many contributions. There are great contributions. And I've been the beneficiary of a lot of those contributions that theater brings to society. But I don't know that they measure up to some of the contributions that mathematics and science have, have given to society. And so, in terms of just the practice of these various things, we can talk about like math as an art or science as an art, along with theater being an art. Um, you know, I, I want to be clear that that I think that what math and science and kind of the STEM fields more broadly bring to society is highly valuable. Theater cannot solve COVID. Science can, even if we don't quite have all the answers yet. Maybe eventually it can. So, but theater, like, it, it improves our soul. Yes, yeah. yes, and that's that's the great value of it is that it touches into our humanity. It, you know, when we when we to to continue with the COVID uh, analogy, when someone passes away from COVID, remembering them by telling the stories of that person and or embodying them in some way if you do impressions of them and 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 do that in front of your friends and everybody la- in your family and everyone laughs and they remember that. like that's those are beautiful valuable human moments that we absolutely need to have they're a part of the process of being a human being in this case they might be a part of the grieving process in some way so that's not to say that 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 theater has no value or that theater isn't valuable or that theater doesn't touch us in some very human and very important way where i where i struggle is is because i'm a you know i'm a teacher i'm a professor of theater and so you don't what i just described the situation i just described of of someone um theatrically memorializing a lost loved one can be done without any training you and i don't need to learn how to do that we do that quite naturally it's just a part of who we are as human beings whereas you know, creating a vaccine for COVID has to be learned. There's an education that ha- process that has to happen. So 
you know, theater in, in the kind of grander scheme of education, you know, like your question about, you know, should it be the kind of thing that every high school student takes? Um, you know, it would be great if it was. Like, I, that's maybe the best answer I have. It would be really wonderful if it, if it is the kind of thing every theater, every high school student has to take. But I think generally just being a lot of schools and a lot of educational um, uh, requirements across the country are such that, that high school students in particular have to take at least one art class. It can be visual art or music or, or theater or dance or things like that. And and that's 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 absolutely value and right. valuable and definitely something. And it doesn't that I, it doesn't necessarily have to be theater. It can be yes. anything. Yeah, and doesn't it's not. I, I'm 100 percent behind that, and I would fight to keep that kind of regulation in place. That yes, every student at some point in their education needs to have valuable interaction with the arts. Uh, the wonderful thing about theater is that it is the collaborating point for all the arts. We need visual artists, we need media artists, we need dancers, we need musicians, we need uh, painters and, and electricians and all kinds of just people with all kinds of skill sets. So, so even if you know, a young person goes to their high school time and they only take a, like a painting class or something, that's still somebody I can use in the theater. That is still somebody, I have a job for you, I can put you on any number of tasks, even with just that uh, glancing work in the arts and certainly not within specifically theater it's still an art form that i can use are is theater valuable at that age and valuable for for young people to learn absolutely you know the the skills empathy is a natural condition of humanity but there are things in society and in our culture that actually are designed to resist human empathy they're made to kind of stop your empathy so that you don't um feel for the, the victim at the heart of, of some tragedy. We see this historically in authoritarian regimes where their control and their propaganda, their, their control of the arts and culture are designed to get people to stop at the, at the point of, of greatest empathy. So when we teach young people about the need to be empathic and the need to really tap into the experiences of other people, that's so valuable because if at a later stage, as they grow into adults, if they're met with a society or a situation or a government that wants to stop them from empathizing, they will know that feeling. They will know that they are being stopped from a natural process that they encountered when they were young and saw the value in when they were young. So whatever, and, and if, if theater is the best way to do that, then we have to have theater. But I, you know, I, I wanna be clear that I don't think that theater has a monopoly on empathy, that you can learn this in literature, you can learn this in the other arts. There are other ways to gain the perspectives of being an empathic person. Theater is certainly one way, and, and one of the ways that I think it's most on the surface in what we do. But as long as there is some interaction with the need and the value of empathy in society for young people at the high school age, then I'm okay, then I'm happy with that. But that's, if, if theater's the thing that's doing the, the heavy lifting for that, then yes, we need theater, we absolutely have to have theater. Yeah. But it's that empathy key that I think is the most valuable part of our social interactions. And it is something that can be mitigated against by people who, are, who have very um, bad aims. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with like everything that you said 
like there's definitely value you, there's definitely the same values that you can find in other art forms but i think the reason why i i picked theater is just because if you're a performer or even an observer you still like you you get like many valuable skills because you get mm. story, you get storytelling you get the empathy part um and you get like projecting yeah public speak public speaking skills you don't necessarily get that with other art forms yeah like a public confidence yeah yeah i think that's absolutely one of the values of theater that's really important is a sense of a sense of yourself your public self and and again this is the kind of acting approach but yourself you have multiple selves and so you you need to know your public self because you're going to have to be your public self from time to time some careers may be more so than others but the fact is that we should be teaching young people at that age, it, that's the perfect age to do it because they're coming into a sense of who they are. They're coming into young adulthood and they are forming their own opinions and ideas about the world. And that is the time to teach them that confidence, to, to tap into the confident self that's there so that they can use that self when they need to, to back up and, and to speak to their values and ideas and their perspectives on the world. So. So absolutely, and it's and it's one of those things where, you know, our our world today is a very, not that it ever hasn't, but I think that we engage with performance much more in our world today than any other time in human history, and that's by nature of the technology that we have available to us in our hands every day. So teaching young people about the nature of performing and performance and how one can perform a self that they don't embody at all times at every point of the day is really, really important because when I log into TikTok or Instagram or any other social media platform and I see people living their best lives, being their best selves, their most fit selves, their most healthy selves, their happiest selves, all that can really make me feel much more critical of myself at that moment. I think a lot of social media is actually designed to do that on purpose. So theater is one of those things that can help us understand that what we are encountering is a performance. And that performance isn't bad. That, that, that when people perform, they're not lying to you. They're not, I mean, some people are. But for the most part, we all perform all the time. I'm performing for you right now. Yeah. Um, this is not how I interact with my, my most cherished relationships in my most private moments. So that's you know there's a performance in everything that we do in every interaction that we do and understanding that that's true of these social media platforms is is valuable because it helps me stop for a second and go oh you know they had to craft this that they had to choose everything that they were wearing they they chose it very specifically maybe they just bought it uh they had to set the camera up just right they had to you know fly to that place or be in that place or you know you know to basically put aside all the things that put aside all the things that we deal with in the day to to make that video and to make it look the way that it did and goodness knows how many takes it may have been for them to get that perfect video perfectly the way that they wanted it when i can remind myself of those things it makes me feel a little bit less bad about you know maybe me sitting on the couch stuffing my face full of of potato chips and watching sad movies that I'm crying to on, at that moment um, and go, oh, that this is just a constructed reality that these folks wish to live in at this point. And that's great. That's wonderful. They have, I, hope, I wish them the best as they do that. But 
they have moments like that I'm having right here with my fat self on my fat couch and eating my chips and filling my face full of them and all that kind of stuff. And, and that those folks struggle with those moments too. And it's just that I don't see that. What I'm seeing right now is a performance that they want me to see. And that's great. But it doesn't make it good for me. It helps me realize I can, I can disengage with this at any point, this, this phone, this world, this social media platform, so that I can live in my present and live in my moment. And if it's a bad moment, then I can maybe do some self-evaluative stuff to, and self-reflective work to say, do I want to stay here? Do I want to be in this moment tomorrow? Do I want to be in this moment next week? If not, how do I, how do I get out of it? How do I go somewhere new? Do I need help? Can I do it myself? What is it? So, so teaching young people that life, certainly life in the 21st century is a series of performed interactions helps, I think, with that knowledge that in the in-between moments, everything can fall apart and that's okay. And that it's not, they're not always going to be perfect moments. And so knowing that we perform is a key aspect of being able to live in your own moment and not try to be in someone else's. We've got uh, nine minutes. You want to do yeah. sessions? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so this is something, um, you know, in terms of, of, of taking something away today that I, you know, I think is valuable from what we do in, in the acting world. Um, maybe, maybe this will be helpful for folks. Something easy that you can do any day, any time, almost any moment of your day, um, just to kind of help center yourself. So one of the things that we work on in acting is your center, your body center. And everybody's center of their body is, is different. Now this is different from like a, a, a you know, a, a, what is the term, a point of gravity or a, uh, um, uh, you know, like when trucks tip over really easy, they have a high, high center of gravity. That's not what I'm talking I was about. Say I'm not velocity. talking about center of gravity. <laughs> See, this is where I need, I need more science training. Um, it's not center of gravity. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about center, we're talking about the thing inside of you, inside of your embodied self. Where do you feel all the points of your body connect to? Like think of it kind of like, you know, as, as a central point at which you constantly return to it maybe it's kind of a sense of like security maybe your center is is somewhere in the middle of your your abdomen or your your, um right underneath your chest where you pull down you pull in to feel safe or feel secure maybe your center of gravity maybe your your center not your center of gravity but your center is a little higher and lifted because you're feeling confident and you're feeling really good that day and your center is going to shift it's not always in the same place depending on you know emotional mood depending on the interactions you're having all of that kind of stuff but being aware of where your center is, is is key for actors because in many respects it's the point at which leads we lead movement it's the it's the first our center is the first engaging part uh with the rest of the world and so doing um, taking a moment in your day especially if you're having a really trying day to either recenter yourself or connect to your center can be really important. So one of the things that we do is we, we're gonna, we're gonna stay in a sitting position since this is how we're set up, but you could stand doing this as well. So we wanna sit with our feet flat on the floor. We wanna, see, we wanna sit off of the back of the chair so our backs are not against the back of the chair. And you kinda wanna feel like your, your upper 
part of your body, so from your hips up, are relatively straight, kind of perpendicular with the floor. We, we in, in the theater and dance world, we like to do this thing called um, elongating, or elongation. Sometimes we call it elongating the spine. So you might imagine that there's like a string that's coming out of the very, very tip top of your, your head. And if you just kind of imagine pulling that string a little bit, kind of makes, the, makes you sit down a little, your hips sit a little more into the chair. You can feel the spine kind of stretch just a hair. And that's the elongation of the spine. And if you hold that after you do that, keep your hands on your knees. Keep, keep your knees and your legs roughly at a right angle from the chair. So they come out and then they turn at a right angle down into the floor. So your feet are square on the floor. So we're in this, what we call kind of a neutral position. There's no such thing as a neutral place for the body. Everybody, every body is different and, and there's no such thing as a neutrality in human, amongst the human condition. But we call it actor neutral because this is the, the point from which we are ready to engage with the world. And like I said before, the center is the place that starts that engagement. So when we're having a, a good day or a bad day or just a day in general, taking a little time to kind of sit and breathe, close your eyes. I'm not gonna close mine because I'm just gonna keep aware of what's going on for the moment. We wanna close our eyes and we wanna breathe. And the way that we breathe is we breathe in through the nose and we fill our lungs full of air and then we exhale slightly through the mouth. So you just relax the jaw muscles and let the lips separate, the teeth and lips separate and air move past the mouth as you exhale. And you wanna do this for a while. There's a really lovely mindfulness, mindfulness exercise you can do while you do this. If you're trying to clear your mind, you just focus on the breath. So every time you breathe in, you say breath. Every time you breathe out, you say breath in your head to yourself. And if any other thought of any kind slips in there in that time, you just deem it as, oh man, look at that. Look at that. We have the power to move <laughs> things off the wall. I'm a Jedi. Yeah, yeah. you didn't realize you're getting Jedi powers today. But yeah, the mindfulness stuff is about like that breathing thing is being able to be present. Anything that isn't breath, you, you label, you say not breath in your head and you go back to thinking about breath, air, in breath, air, out breath. This helps us to be present. And presence is important because I think that, particularly when we're having a bad day, uh, when things are, are not going well, we're feeling stressed, we're feeling anxious, we're feeling sad, we're feeling lonely, um, we wanna run away from those moments. Clearly, they're not good moments. Nobody wants to stay there. But the problem with that is that you can't control what you're running to because nobody knows what's coming. So being present is about being able to take on the challenges of that moment. And everyone has different ways of dealing with the challenge of a moment. Uh, for me, I like to, to pick a task that's easy, that I can do relatively quickly, and I don't feel too stressed out about, just as a way to kind of kick the pebble a little further down the road uh, before I have to deal with the boulder. And it gives, gives me the kind of, gets me ready to deal with the boulder that's coming. Um, but when we're present, we, we take, we don't let the anxiety control that moment for us. And I think that's the key thing. You can't solve a problem until you can kind of see what's in front of you. And anxiety and stress and, and all those things I mentioned a moment ago 
are all things that, that disallow us from being able to see what's right in front of us. And to be able to see a way out of it or a way around it or a way through it. Acting technique. So everyone, if you want to want to become an actor, here's the very basic uh, acronym you need to remember. It's GOAT. It's not G-O-A-T-E, though. It's G-O-T-E. Goals, obstacles, tactics, expectations. Every character has them. Every individual has them. And every moment is different. So if you're dealing with a very small, tiny moment where you need to send that email to that person that you've been dreading to send, goals, obstacles, tactics, expectations. What's your goal? To send the email. What's, what's the obstacle? What's in the way of sending that email? Um, what's the tactic? How are you going to send the email? Is it going to be strongly worded? Or are you going to try to kill them with kindness, so to speak? That kind of thing. Any number of tactics could work. And then what do you expect to happen when, when you... when when you send the email, when you finally get through that, you know, what, what, what's the expectation that you have that you're dealing with? And when we take a minute to be present, we can rightfully assess all of those types of things, and we can see them a little more clearly, and we can figure out, oh, okay, if I take 10 minutes right now to do this, to send this email that I've been dreading to send, then it'll be over and it'll be done with, and I can move on to the next thing. And I'll deal with, if there's a nasty reply that comes back, I'll deal with it at that moment. Um, for me, I think the thing that theater has taught me the most and that has been the most helpful, um, aside from that self-reflection about anger and everything I was talking about earlier, is that it's helped me learn about presence and about how there are certain things that can be solved in certain moments and certain things that cannot. Uh, during grad school, I used to wake up at 2 in the morning stressed out i mean just absolute near to the point of of panic attack like the the anxiety is through the roof the stress is just consuming my body i've woken up in the middle of the night there's no way i'm going back to sleep and i would do these mindfulness exercises i would do this breathing exercise um a lot of times i do it laying down because if i'm trying to go to sleep that's a good way to do it but one of the things that i would tell myself kind of a mantra is that i can't solve it right now i can't fix it right now Whatever the problem is that woke me up, 2 a.m. is not the time where it can be solved. Most problems can't be solved at 2 a.m. But at that, you know, if it was, it was an issue with what I was dealing with with my dissertation or with class or whatever, I, could, I can't solve it at 2 a.m. There's no way. There's no way. I, and even if I tried, I wouldn't be able to. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm drowsy. I'm full of anxiety. Trying to solve this problem now will probably just result in more problems almost certainly. So repeating that stuff to myself, doing the breath thing, and understanding that the problem that's right in front of me is not solvable right now, takes it out of my hands. It makes it, you know, I can't control this moment. And I just go, the, the only thing I can do right now is sleep. The best thing I can do for myself right now is sleep. That is something I can, I can m do in this moment to help change the circumstances a little bit. And so it becomes like finding the way, okay, well, I can't solve the problem of that issue that woke me up, but going back to sleep is something I can focus on. So then the breathing exercises come into play, maybe putting on a little soft music or something in the background, doing things to get myself back into a state where I can sleep was, you know, after a while, it didn't always work right away, certainly, but after a while I, I found a pattern, a routine that when that happened, I would go into that routine I would find my way back to sleep. I would, I, I'm not saying I've always got the best sleep, but I would at least get back to sleep, get up in the morning, and I would have a better idea about how to attack the problem and how to find a way through it. 
And it's just simply because I think the, 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 the clamp that is stress and anxiety releases for a moment because you realize that there's just, you know, if, if, if you're present enough where you know that you can't solve the problem, if there's things that you can't do in that moment, kind of takes a little bit of the burden off. It takes, it, it pulls a little of the stress away, I think. It certainly did for me. So if, out, if you're out there, you know, acting exercises are a lot like the kinds of exercises you might find in therapy or with a counselor or something like that. And there's a reason for that because we're all, the, the goal is to get people to understand the importance of presence of the moment that you are in right now and, and living in it despite how uncomfortable it may be. The more comfort we have with being in an uncomfortable moment, or at least the more familiarity we have with it, the better we can handle those moments. And, and the more likely it is that we'll come up with solutions or at least ways with dealing with them so that we can move forward to the more important things in life. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, for our watchers, watchers, yeah, watchers and listeners, uh, make sure to check out Kyle's podcast. What is yeah, it called again? The Teaching Drama Podcast. Teaching Drama Podcast on all platforms. Um, and of course, you can check out other episodes of, of this podcast on all platforms. So thank you so much for watching and listening. And I hope you all have a very beautiful day and make sure to take care of yourselves. Peace. Mm-hmm.